You ever really stop to think about that? That how God chose to save the world was probably completely different than what we would do? I mean, think about Mary and Joseph. Not two notable or remarkable people. Didn't come really from a, they came from a lineage that was great, but nothing of, of recent days in the last several hundred years of their family's history. Bethlehem was definitely not a world-class city. Uh, you think about the Jewish people. They weren't even ruling themselves. They were under the rulership of Rome. You think about the shepherds and the audience in whom Jesus appeared. They weren't exactly power brokers or people of influence. You think about the stable and the, the, the basically the meager means in which Jesus came into this world would not be really the trappings that were set for a king. Think about the fact that it was set in the first century. I mean, what would have happened had Jesus been born in the 21st century? I mean, it would have been tweeted about, Facebooked, YouTubed, Vimeoed, TMZed, all around the world. There would have been reports, and, and we saw celestial beings, and here's some, some eyewitnesses of what they heard and what they saw. Every one of the great miracles that Jesus did that we read about in the Bible would have been chronicled through, via through video. How cool would that have been? Somebody would have had a smartphone when Jesus walked on the water. You know what I'm talking about? And then when he died on the cross, every major news outlet would have covered it around the world. And then it would have been more frenzy than a presidential election year around the empty tomb. But yet God in his wisdom never does anything quite the way we think it should be done. Matter of fact, every other world religion, man has to pursue God. But only in Christianity does God pursue man. Some people may think that's not really the way to save the world. But it works. The Bible says, for the babe became a man, and he grew in favor and in stature. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 52. And this man gave his life as a ransom for many. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 45 says. And Paul has one verse that summarizes the entire Christmas story in Philippians, chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, Christmas is much more than the birth of Jesus. It's about God coming to earth in the form of man, that he could die for our sins so that you and I may live. That word found himself fashioned as a man is a Greek word schema, which basically was the word that was depicted when a king would divest himself of his kingly robes and garments to take on those of a beggar for a brief period of time. So when God speaks that Jesus Christ found himself in the fashion of a man, he divested himself, he took off his kingly robes, only to take on to be clothed in the, in the robes and, in, and excuse me, in the clothes of, of a beggar. For a brief period of time on this planet. Isaiah says this of him. He had no form, speaking of Jesus, or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. I always thought of Jesus being this tall, dark, and handsome kind of a guy. You know, this, this guy that when he looked at you, he could just penetrate right through you. This, this, this man's man, this, 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 this stature and just this look, you know, kind of a John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, kind of make my day kind of a person. But that's not what the Bible says. There was nothing about his outer appearance that would attract us to him, Isaiah says. For kings in that days were picked on their stature and their look and their, their overall appearance, but not Jesus. He was common and easily overlooked. 
His reputation was not great in the eyes of men. In fact, Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3, that Jesus was despised and even rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and esteemed him not. He really took off the robes of his kingship and clothed himself of that of a beggar and made of himself no reputation and took on the form of humanity. And on that Christmas Eve, 2,000 years ago, Jesus became God in flesh. Paul goes on to say that he humbled himself. The word humbled is, is a word that, it's, it's a phrase that is willing to stoop to any measure. Willing to stoop to any measure that was needed. That was the attitude of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the great writer of the Chronicles of Nardia, wrote a book called Miracles. In a chapter called The Grand Miracle, I quote, this is how he describes the humbling of Christ. Listen to this. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of the absolute being into time and into space, down into humanity, down still further, down to the very roots and the seabed of the nature that he had created. But he goes down only to come up again and to bring the ruined world up with him. One has a picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath something great. Some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must also disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. That's what Paul meant when he said he humbled himself and became obedient. That word obedient means to give up, to surrender to someone else's authority without complaint, without rejection, to carry out the instructions given to you. Well, what exactly did he give up and did he surrender? Well, the Bible says that he gave up the glory of heaven for you and for me. That he emptied himself of his independent authority. He completely submitted himself to the will of the Father. Next, he set aside the prerogatives of his deity or the voluntary use of his God-like attributes. Did he stop being omniscient? No. Did he stop being omnipresent? No. Did he stop being the unchangeable God? No. He didn't stop being anything. He was God. He is God. He always will be God. He just didn't choose to use those attributes. The Bible said he gave up his personal riches. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 says... He was rich, yet for your sakes and for my sake he became poor. That through his poverty we might become rich. And lastly, he gave up a favorable relationship with God. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, the Bible says. And as a result, it resulted in Jesus crying out to God before he gave his last breath, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, although he was willing to give up all these things, he never ceased being God. He always remained fully God. But yet he was obedient, giving up of his glory and, 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 and of these, these de deity powers and, and his personal riches and his relationship in order for you and for I. Why? Paul simply says, because for death, unto death, to such an extent, his pain was suffered for you and for me. And death, even unto the cross. You have to understand that the cross was considered the most disgraceful way to die by the Jews. 
In Levitical law, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, the Bible clearly says that the most disgraceful man for a way for a way for a man to die is death on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die a triumphant death. He died a disgraceful death of a blasphemer, of an outcast, and of a criminal. You go, whoa, 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 I thought that it was triumphant. He overcome death, hell, and the grave. And he, he, his power and his grace. Yes, he did all of that. But we, from our Western mindset, look, and we have pictures of the cross. And we have crosses on jewelry of the, of the cross. And we, we have tattoos of the cross. We have all kinds of emblems of the cross because we celebrate the cross. It's the old rugged cross. I'll cling to the old rugged cross. To my trophies at last I lay down. But you have to remember, in the context of the first century, they viewed him as an outcast, as someone who had lost his mind, as someone who claimed to be God and blasphemed the Holy Spirit in doing so and died a criminal's death. Because had they realized that he was victorious and triumphant in that moment, the Jews would have called him Messiah. But today they're still looking for Messiah. He was rejected, chastised. Why? For you and for me. Even in his death, they don't understand. Even in his death, they don't get it. Except for the 12. And they take this message and literally change the world. See, if we had planned the arrival of God, it would look totally different, wouldn't it? We would want to make sure that he arrived in a palace, not in a manger. We would want to make sure that he was born into wealth, that he was educated in the finest schools, prep schools, universities, under the most elite teachers. We would want to make sure that he was cared for and nurtured and attended to and honored and loved and favored and lifted up and exalted and believed in. We would never let him be born in a stable. We'd have never let a bunch of low-class, stinking shepherds around him. We'd never let him be born into a family of poverty, would we? We would never let God come down to, with no earthly goods, with no formal education, and surround himself with a ragtag bunch of no-name nobodies with no worldly qualifications to do anything. We would never let God be humiliated. We would never let him be cursed. We would never let him be mocked. We would never let him be spit on. We would never let him be crucified. But then we would never be saved. This is the incarnation. This is who he is and what he came to do. This is why he came. This is the story of Christmas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight, would believe in him, would not die, but would have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. That's the meaning. That's the story. That's the reality of Christmas. That being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me, everyone in this room? I simply want to ask one simple question on this Christmas Eve. And that is, you're here today, man, and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You may know who God is. You may be cool with God. You may show up to church. But you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life.
and be your personal Lord and Savior. And you realize today that that's why he came. Is to die on the cross for your sins so that you could have life here today and life everlasting tomorrow. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that you will be saved. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you an opportunity today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I'm just going to ask you to say, hey, man, if that's you, say, Aaron, that's me. I, I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to surrender that to Christ today. I just want you to slip up your hand. Just up and back down. Thanks. Just up and back down. Thanks. Thanks. Up and back down. It's where you're at today. And I just want to give it that chance. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. You may be in a place where you know, but you're far away from where you know what reality is. You know the truth, but man, it's just not living in you. You go, today I need to make some things right with God. Just up and back down. Thanks. Thanks. Here's what I want to do today. I want to pray this prayer together. And I'm going to ask those of you that lifted your hand to pray this prayer. And the Bible says by praying a prayer, it doesn't save you. But if you believe the prayer that you're about to pray, that the God of the universe will humble himself and come into your heart and into your life and be your personal Lord and Savior. He'll take your sins and he will wash them away. And he will give you a new and fresh start today, this Christmas Eve. And you can have assurance that heaven is your home. For those of you that have prayed this prayer before, I'm going to ask you to lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, to come into my life, and to be my personal Lord and Savior. I confess my sins. I am a sinner. And I need you, Jesus, to wash my sins away and to make me fresh and to make me new. I believe in you, Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. Be my Lord and Savior today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord praise for those that made that decision today.